After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling, and today I have a wonderful hangout with uh, John Forte. John, welcome, welcome, welcome to Mind Thank Rolling. Thank you, Raghu. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um, many of you will know that uh, John is closely associated and was part of the Fugees, with uh, Wycliffe and Lauren Hill and uh, and Prez, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the refugee camp, uh, the Fugees, you know, refugees, Fugees. Yeah, yeah. one of the most unique hip-hop rap groups of all time and a major influence for many of the people that you hear out there right now. Um, and, yeah, we'll get into that later, uh, but... I guess we should, what I really want is to uh, start out with where you're from and how you grew up and the kind of environment that you were dealing with at the time. So can you, I know you grew up in Brownsville, right? New York? I grew up up in Brownsville, Brooklyn. There's also Brownsville, Texas. I'm sure there are (laughs) many other Brownsville scattered throughout. Yeah these here United States. Uh, but I'm from, I'm from Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, single parent at home. My mom Flo is, uh, is, is, is my best homie. I spoke to her a little while ago. We oh. speak, uh, we speak regularly. Is she still um, in New York? She's in New Jersey. She's been in New Jersey for 20 years now. Hmm. Um, and, uh, she raised my, my older sister, Natasha and, and, um, me uh, on her own very, very heroically and, and bravely at a time when, um, you know, it was, it was tough for a lot of folks, uh, not only in the neighborhood, but, but, but in the country, you know, in the seventies in, in and eighties. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, Brownsville definitely was and remains to this day uh, to be an underserved uh, community. And so resources were scarce, um, but the love was, was, was thick and heavy and, and, and you felt community. So mm. I, can't, I can't take anything away from, um, from that. I had a very, very happy uh, childhood, uh, although there was some uh, traumatic, uh, um, traumatic occurrences uh, within a, a very, very traumatic environment. Mm. Yeah going to school and um, 
by the way, I I took a look. I love this. Uh, you did an interview, I guess, last year with Talib Kweli, who yes. is uh, a good friend. I know that, and uh, so I I I heard him. You mentioned there that uh, you you were uh, actually sent to a gifted school that was a little, mm-hmm. that was far away. Yeah, describe that because you were seven, eight years old and having to do something that uh, was a little bit scary, right? Sure, sure. The the zone school PS one eighty three was two blocks away from where I grew up on Legion Street between Riverdale and Livonia in Brownsville, and uh, I remember that first day of class, um, I went to. Uh, I guess my, my homeroom and we had a, 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 some, some exercises and there was some reading exercises in particular. And, um, and I was pulled out of that class immediately and, and told to go to the principal's office. And I wasn't told why I was in the principal's office. Um, and the next thing I know, my mom showed up and I thought, what did I do? I'm in some serious trouble. And she went in and she spoke to, the principal and my teacher and there was this this meeting on my behalf and I was none the wiser about uh, the, the subject um, or, or the topic beyond me, right? And so when my mom came out, I, before she could even speak, I was already apologizing. I didn't do it. I don't know what they're telling you in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. and, uh, and my mom came out and and you know, she had a stoic expression. It was n- neither happy nor uh, upset. You could tell she was processing. And, and even even then, as a as a kid, I could tell. You know, she she was she was mulling whatever this this conversation was over in, in her head before she spoke to me about it. And when she finally did um, summarize it for me, she said, "This school said that they don't have anything to offer you that uh, that." you've you've aced their 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 tests and and and, and they'd like to offer um or they, they'd like to suggest another uh another school that could that could serve you and, and serve us better um and i was like okay that's cool where is it and she said, oh, that's that's the issue it's a, it's a it's a little farther away um and so uh it wasn't planes trains and automobiles to get to but it was <laughs> It was taking a New York City bus at the age of eight um, with an older friend of mine from the neighborhood that we found out was also, you know, at the same school. Um, you know, I think she was 10, April. Um, that's her name, April. I remember April. What is up, April? <laughs> and uh, and April was my, my, my buddy, you know, and mm-hmm. so we would we would take the bus from one side of town to the other uh, in order to get to this school that had a gifted and talented program. Um, and that's when I picked up, uh, you know, so many other things, uh, it, you know, the violin was, was really. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. I that I didn't know. Are you still yeah. playing? By the way? Am I still playing? I'm not still playing the violin in the traditional sense, but I'm doing a lot of scoring work with strings uh-huh. and so yeah. that scoring work and that production work is um you know a, a, a clear and direct result of of, of that tutelage hmm. yeah. and, um okay so the next thing that happens is uh 
you were you went off to Phillips Exeter, right? Boarding school, and then so again, I was just listening. Talib said, "Yeah, you went to the." the high-end boarding school, I went to a low-end school called Cheshire Academy. I just about dropped off my chair. I went to Cheshire That's Academy. That's your alma mater. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yes, it's a low low end on the food chain of private schools. I only went there because I was such a screwed up delinquent. <laughs> oh, we're so, so connected. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you and Talib were sitting at the same yeah. desk somewhere, walking the same. Yeah, hall. well, I'm a little older than he is. So well, well, but but, but oh, again, the same desk. Yeah, right. yes, and yes. Had, you know that that energy. Inherited. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh my my. Um. So. I mean. So yeah, I went to boarding school. It was from Brownsville, Brooklyn, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm walking uh, paths with manicured lawns and. <laughs> Saying hi to strangers, yeah, which is and something that, that we didn't do uh, in, in my hometown. You didn't speak to people you didn't know. Yeah, right. Not to mention, okay, uh, okay. I don't remember people of color at Cheshire. I don't know about Phillips Exeter. Maybe by the time you went, which is much later, there were people of color, but was there? Um, not many. Not many. Not many right? A small percent. Yeah. A very very small percent, and uh, you know the. Uh, you had societies, you had clubs that allowed for um, those kids who, who were different to celebrate their differences together. And, um, and, and, and those clubs were vital and, and critical, uh, I, you know, in my uh, opinion, of that experience, you know, were it not for those clubs that allowed you to have the safest spaces uh, on, on those campuses, um, and would then encourage you, you know, to coexist and would, would give you the tools, um, to, to, to do it in a fashion that would allow for you to thrive. Uh, it was, it it was a deep education on on a number of levels. Hmm. And for the most part, you felt that there was enough of an openness to be yourself there? Or is that a reach? No, no, it's 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 not a reach at all. I I started um, I started growing my hair sophomore year, <laughs> and you know I didn't cut it until thirty seven years later. Um, but but it was growing that hair that was my connection to um, a an ancestral identity and uh, a, a spiritual depth. Um, but I think about, you know, in doing that gesture, which felt very, very necessary for me at the time in that environment, um, was that, you know, was that met with much resistance? This is, this is getting to your question. Mm. No, it, it, it wasn't. And um, it may seem like a small gesture, but it, but it clearly meant enough for me to to stick with it for 37 years. Um, but, but, but what, you know, it, it was the seed that, that, that was planted there. Um, and the seed can only grow if it's, if, if it's got the, the right conditions in order to do so. So I think that the Academy, um, 
because I can only speak about my experience at that academy. I can't speak about the, the experience of, of Black folk en masse in, in these institutions. But, you know, in, in my experience, um, the academy did real work in order to uh, celebrate that individualism as we came together collectively uh, uh, to, to, to learn and, and to grow. You know, the, our motto was non-sibi, which is Latin for you know, n- not, not for self. And mm. so uh, there, was, there was a real emphasis at, at Phillips Exeter to, uh, to participate in the community, to show up for community to um to be to be in it for more than just for yourself okay that's tremendous to hear this especially when i remember okay here's what i ended up doing first of all looking for whatever drugs i could find uh you know at 14, 15 years old 16 whatever it was and uh that wasn't so easy back then and then second thing is that um I got into a snowball, this is really dumb, a snowball fight with what we call townies, right? We call the townies, yes. Unfortunately (laughs) for me, (laughs) unfortunately. We too too knew townies. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for me, uh, the vice principal happened to be going, uh, walking down that street just behind where I was throwing. I hit him. He threw me out right away, gone. Really? Yeah, I got I got um, expelled for a month or something like that. Oh. And if you can imagine having to go home and, and explain that out to your parents, <laughs> so this this was my life. I was pretty much ruined at school from the get go. And um, yeah, see, so did you stick around thereafter? Did you go to, uh, did, did you stay in school? Or yeah, did you, uh... I, gra- I, I graduated by the skinny of um, my team. <laughs> somebody, I had a really great math tutor, a teacher who, who yeah, I shouldn't have passed, but he, he got me passed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all praise. Yeah. All praise. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> what one does with one's circumstances is, uh, is an interesting thing when you think about the causes and conditions that formulate our lives. Again and, and again. Yeah. And, you know, yours is a good example and mine is not, not such a good one. But I was saved in the end. I was saved. I was saved. Hallelujah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, everybody, um, I will be um, chastised for not telling everyone about the fact that John is going to join our Ramdas Soulland music series, I believe it's April 29th, but go to ramdas.org slash music and you'll see the whole lineup, which starts, uh, it's, it runs from uh, mid-March through the end of April. And our date is April the 30th. 30th. I was close. Yes. 30th. Okay, everybody, April 30th and... Uh, um, we're really, really happy that you, that you're doing this uh, with us. Thank you, yeah. thank you. I'm 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 feeling so much joy to be uh, to be introducing myself to to this community to have the opportunity mm-hmm. to do so. Um, and you know, this is this is our, our first sort of public conversation. Yeah. Uh, but there's but there's so much connectivity um, here, and so. Um, there's this explosion of of of, of um, 
you know, it's, it's just happiness of, of being here now. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you get out of school and obviously uh, you were drawn to music and yeah, a little bit about yeah. how you even ended up, uh, you know, meeting the Fugees and meeting, uh, actually, I, it's Lauren Hill, I think, was was uh, instrumental. But wasn't there somebody before all of that that was kind of started taking you around, uh, a, a sort of mentor, Jessica, I think her name was? There, yeah, there, there was so many. I've, I've oh, got, yeah? I've, I've, got, I've got so many heroes and mm mentors and guides and advisors when i when i think about the folks who who held my hand um through this journey uh, thus far um th it's it's not a short list mm. not a short list um musically you you talk about me being drawn to it doesn't even feel like that it, it it feels like we were we were never never apart mm. <laughs> my journey with music has been the relationship of having it experiencing it seeing it morph and uh and 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 and, and take on different colors and shapes and um it showed me from a very, very early age that collaboration was going to be the key for uh, for the for the source of of, of of my continued inspiration. Working with others, finding that harmony, uh, and so I've been collaborating long before folks knew that they were <laughs> that I was in the band you know I was <laughs> I was playing along <laughs> miles and miles and miles away um but that that's the spirit of it the, the spirit of music is community it's it's community and communication it's 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 air itself hmm. but who were a couple of the people that uh, brought you into to that particular mm. scene yes um so while I was away at boarding school, I was coming home um, on you know certain vacations, but particularly during the summertime. So being at a boarding school in New England still gave me access to New York City. So I was growing up in New England uh, during the school year, but growing up in New York City during the summertime, um, which which was everything, which was the the amalgamation of, of, of all beautiful worlds for me. Um, so when I, when I came home during those, predominantly during those summer vacations, because they were the longest, uh, I was, I, I, I was out and about. Um, I was <laughs> soaking up the city. I was with my backpack in Washington Square Park with the likes of Talib Kweli on one side and most deaf who's now Yassine Bey on the other. And, uh, and, and, and we were kids learning how to play with language and rhythm. And we were also kids who weren't, uh, um, I, 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 I won't say we were also kids who weren't, I would say we were also kids who were connected to, 
to our academic institution. So we showed up with our backpacks and in those backpacks, more often than not happened to be, you know, the, the books that we were reading, Paulo Freire and Franz Fanon. And, and so we were, you know, we, we were educating ourselves and then passing that literature around and, and then incorporating that into, in, into our rhymes. And so we, we became a generation known as the backpack rappers, <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, uh, where you know you speak about the individual the, the individualism uh, uh, or one's individualism uh, individuality being celebrated that's precisely what that was all about we showed up in, in in that park we were superheroes we would we we could be anything we wanted to be and mm. and and that's what that energy felt like you know and that that's what happened during the daytime and then and during the, the nighttime we 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 ran into the in, into the clubs and this was at a time in the late 80s, early 90s in New York City when large amounts of folks came together. You're talking about 5,000 people in the Palladium, you know, 2,500 people in, 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 in the tunnel. Um, uh, sound factory bar, you, you, uh, Mars, which was an entire building on the west side and had four floors. Every floor was its own different music. And so we were kids hopping around <laughs> in that nightlife, um, too young to get in, but figuring out how to get in <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, and and it was it was in that experience that yes, you, you know, you speak about what one, one of my mentors guides a, a woman who became my my manager. Um, her name's Jessica Rosenblum, uh, and back in the days, Jessica she throw, she 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 was responsible for throwing uh, the best. And I don't like to speak hyperbolic in, in, in a hyperbolic mm -hmm. fashion normally, but she, but she threw the best uh, downtown hip hop parties. Um, and I have to specify downtown because that's what it was all about. It was about bringing hip hop to downtown at the time, which it, which it wasn't downtown Manhattan, which it, um, it, it was it was pretty alienated until, you know, pioneers like Jessica figured out how to work with those uh, club owners. And so, you know, she was a club promoter turned uh, a manager of a DJ and she also managed me. And um, and it was you know, through her uh, guidance and, um, you know, that, that I was able to record my, my first record when I was 15. Oh. Uh, it was with, uh, with uh, another person that she represented at the time, then in a, a then un, unknown DJ named Funkmaster Flex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, just getting this started a few clubs and Jessica said, all right, you know, we'll, We'll figure this out, and they and, and they cracked the code. They they really unlocked it. Um, yeah, and I I, I was part of that scene. Mm. And then another uh, very important person, uh, surely, is uh, Lauren Hill for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, it was actually in um, in hanging out in, in Jessica's uh, office one day that. Uh, um, our, our friend Jeff Burroughs, he, he came in, he was a product manager at Sony and he came in, he had a video cassette, a VHS. And he said, this is the future of music right here. He was waving it. What are, what are you talking about? And he popped it in and it was black and white video of 
two guys and one girl and they were singing a song called Boof Bath. And it was very, very high energy. And I remember thinking, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here. You could just feel it, right? The, the energy was palpable. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but he said, you know, if you like what you just saw, they're playing tonight at the Supper Club on, in Midtown, 47th Street, I, I think. And, um, and I went up to, to, to see their show. And that was the first night that I met Lauren. Um, after waiting on their meet and greet line and just introducing myself and speaking to her for a few minutes, we realized then and there that we had a lot in common hmm. and, uh, and we became fast friends. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Amazing artist. And um, that she is. The, I, I know this was brought up, but what happened? I mean, this is aside from everything else, but uh, what happened with with Lauren in terms of just leaving it? I mean, at one point she just left it. I think she came back. I don't know if she if she ever left music. She left the industry, Mm. and um, but you know, Lauren's a creator. Without knowing, without knowing what she's created over the time. I know in my heart of hearts that she's never stopped communicating through that language of music, which is fundamental to our existence. Hmm. Hmm. So then next thing, and this is where I'm first aware um, of you in any way, which was, uh, you know, that amazing record, the score that the Fugees did. The score. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Okay, all you guys out there, if you have not heard this, please go to Spotify and stream. You know, it is killing this me is the softly. 20th, the twenty fifth anniversary. This oh, year. really? Oh my yes. God! Mm-hmm. Must make you feel a little bit older. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you all remember the Roberta Flack song "Killing Me Softly." No, 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 no one will remember. No, no. okay. All right. Well, uh, take it from us. It's a phenomenal song. And what you did, John, because you produced that track. I, I, know. I didn't produce Killing Me Softly. Oh, I, produced a re- I produced a remix of Killing Me Softly. No, that's what I now, mean. Which that... is now floating around out there. Uh-huh. But, it, but it wasn't the, it, it wasn't the, the one, it wasn't on, the... The one on, on the record. No. Uh-huh. Um, I, I produced... I produced a, a couple of tracks off of the off of that album. I produced Family Business. I produced Cowboys, which I'm also rapping on. I did drum programming on No Woman No Cry. Yeah, that's the um, other one. Yeah, that Marley yeah. song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Anyhow, check it out, y'all. I mean that that record is is pretty uh, phenomenal and and was a huge huge hit and big moment in hip hop for sure. What? It was it was quite a moment. Yeah. Um, so then we go to the, before we started, I said to John, I know I'm going to have to ask you about the incarceration deal and you've told it a billion times. And he said, dun, dun, so dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what happened? What happened? What I mean, happened? you were doing really well, right? Yeah. And tell us from there. I was doing great. I was doing great. I was on top of the world, uh, you know, the Fuji's, uh, aligning with with them having that opportunity to uh see places i never dreamed um 
to be nominated for the Grammy uh, for you know producing on that album. You know, you know, it was a it was a moment. I was 21 with my mom next to me mm. at the at the Grammys. And um, and then the, the year after that, Wyclef came comes out with uh, with his solo album. Uh, Wyclef presents the Carnival, which is a huge success. And there's uh, the second single off of that is a song called "We're Trying to Stay Alive," which takes the old "Staying Alive" John Travolta. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the "Staying Alive" Bee Gees track. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you know, we we repurposed that, and and so that was also a, a big moment for me because it it, uh, it further highlighted me and 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 in and uh, a part of 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 the community. Um. And just, you know, there were there were collaborations that came and, and production opportunities. Uh, and all the while I'm being groomed for my solo album, which comes out in 1998. Um, and it comes out to critical acclaim, but commercial disappointment. And to put that into mathematical quantifiable terms, I sold about 100,000 copies, which you know, I have to qualify by today's standards. Yeah. Hey, a hundred thousand copies. Hey, that, that'd be pretty good. But yeah. in the nineties, after, after being, uh, you know, down with the group that, that, that sold millions and millions and millions of, of physical, you know, albums, uh, selling, you know, a hundred thousand copies was a, was a big failure. And hmm. it was my first failure. Um, and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to how to process it. I I, I don't know if I did process it. Um, what I did do was blame everyone around me for my failure. Mm. Everyone, everyone felt the 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 felt the ire of my wrath. Um, but what I did not do was look in the mirror and ask myself what I could have done better. And what I was responsible for. I didn't, I, I didn't take much responsibility for that. And um, yeah, that, that precipitated a, a series of events that led to my being dropped from the label uh, and on my own. And I said, well, fine, that's all right. Uh, there are other folks out there who are, are finding their way independently. I'll find my way independently. And um, that was when I met an, indiv an individual who gave me an opportunity to involve myself in his criminal enterprise. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it didn't just happen overnight. We, we'd, become, we'd become friends. We, we started hanging out. And uh, he saw the opportunity, and then I saw the opportunity. And that's when I started taking risks that would... Uh, um, that would lead to the cataclysmic uh, fall of uh, my house of cards. Mm. Mm. So you were arrested, you were sentenced, mm -hmm. and uh, talk about a world falling apart. I mean, I can't, I'm thinking about your mom, actually. God, that must have been, I mean, hard for you, yeah, going into that situation. But, yeah. um, mom. Mom. 
mom. I think about mom every day throughout the day. Um, and, and, you know, it's moments like that, that I, I, I consider in, in that equation too. I, I know that it wasn't, um, it wasn't easy for her to say the, to say the least, but she's a woman. She was a woman then and, and remains, a a woman of unwavering faith. Mm. You, when I was arrested at Newark airport for picking up two couriers who had, you know, what, what was then accounted to be 1.4, $1.7 million worth of, um, cocaine, 14 kilo, 14 kilos. Uh, yeah, it, 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 everything, everything stopped, everything changed. It was, it was this, it was this shift. Um, and a year later after being you know, on house arrest for a, a year, waiting to go to trial, I went to trial in Texas. Mm. I wasn't arrested mm. in Texas, but because the couriers, um, unbeknownst to me when I was arrested, the, the, the couriers were participating in a controlled delivery. They had already been apprehended. Oh, they had already been working so with the, with the, with, with the feds. And so conversations uh, were, had been recorded and they were building a case. Mm. Um, and, you know, ultimately the couriers testified against me. Uh, the kingpin in the operation, he was arrested on an unrelated charge a few weeks later and said, oh, I'll give you my partner, John Forte, my partner. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, a year later, I was in a a court of law in Houston, Texas with, you know, Curious testifying against me and the Kingpin testifying against me and me being in the middle. And uh, I was found uh, guilty of uh, the possession charge. I was acquitted of the conspiracy charge. Hmm. Um, Although originally, and when I tell this story, I, I, I like to throw in the detail that originally the jury came back, they, they, they were, de- they, they returned with the, well, they were deadlocked hmm. and, uh, and the judge issued an Allen charge, which essentially directs the jurors to do their civic duty and to work it out to, to reach a verdict, right? Like you've, you, you've taxpayers have paid for, for this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really encourage you to go back there and to do the work. And so something like 22 minutes later, they came back <laughs> with, a, with, a, with, with, with the, the verdict, which was a compromised verdict, which acquitted me on the conspiracy charge, but found me guilty of the possession charge. And it was first time nonviolent drug offense. Uh, but it, it garnered me 168 months in federal prison, mm. so a 14 year prison sentence. Mm. And that was 2001. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, since I come from the hippie era, I had many friends who had similar problems. So I'm, I'm quite aware. Uh, uh, so people are going to say, well, what happened? How did that turn? Oh, so much. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. But it stems from the um, left turn on the uh, around the music, I would imagine. 
you know, the first couple of years of my incarceration, I didn't, I didn't embrace music. I felt betrayed by the industry. I felt like a, a, a lover scorned. And I also didn't want to be perceived as trying to lean on celebrity in that environment. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a hot shot talking about what it was like to go on tour or what it was like mm-hmm. to, to, to be in a, a party with this person. Or if I knew this individual, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't reminisce at least, um, uh, out loud. It wasn't until a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine named Rabbit, you know, came to me when I was at, uh, my designated facility, Loretto, uh, which is in Western Pennsylvania. And, uh, and he came to my cell one day and he gave me an acoustic guitar that he had, hmm. he'd gotten from the recreation department. He'd made a move and had gotten a guitar. I'm like, how did you get this guitar? He's like, don't ask me, I'm out of here. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm there with this guitar. And, you know, Rabbit thought that he was doing me this am- amazing favor because he, here he knows me to be this musician. And he thought he was, you know, throwing me a lifeline. And he was, but I didn't, I didn't realize it then. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Cause I didn't know how to play guitar. I looked at other friends of mine who were out there, but that wasn't my instrument. You know, I programmed drums. I, I, I knew how to sample things and I played violin, but the guitar, no. But a couple few weeks with that instrument taking up space in my limited space, <laughs> I soon had, I soon uh, welcomed the conversation with it. And so I asked for friends and family to send me basic, uh, basic guitar for, or or, or guitar for dummies or basic guide guitar, you know, just these tab books, which pretty quickly led to me teaching guitar in prison. Hmm even though I only knew how to play two chords at the time. Mm-hmm. The next thing I knew, I was teaching a guitar class to, you know, 12 guys. And they didn't know or care that I only knew two chords. <laughs> because if I could, as long as I could teach them one chord, that was enough. And so I started teaching them what I knew as soon as I knew it rather immediately. And that ultimately uh, very clearly helped me uh, learn faster, mm. more, more, more passionately, more profoundly. Um, yeah, it was mm. m- more purposefully. Wow. So from being thrown off the cliff in the music business yeah. to it reviving you in that circumstance is pretty amazing karma. Well, the business didn't, right. You know, it, it wasn't the business. It was, it's it's the music it's 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 that it's that it's the continuous thread of of the music and that relationship to it and so you know in the 90s right my my relationship was it was it was the com, the commodific it was very very commodification based 
um, was transactional. You know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to get paid for, 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 for my time. Thank you very much. Um, you are correct in, in, in what you're getting at. And that is, you know, in that environment and in, in that, in that, in the doom and gloom of prison, um, you know, by, by striking up the conversation with this guitar, um, I found a liberation that I hadn't known before. And I'm not, I'm not talking poetically, I'm talking very, very literally. And that is the ability to accompany myself as, as a musician. So prior to that moment, I was a rapper. I was a rapper. I showed up and somebody would play the backing track and I would rap lyrics over it. And that's, that felt good to me. And I, I, I did that at Radio City Music Hall. I did that at Carnegie Hall. And I did that at small little clubs around the world. And I was fine with that. But I always had to have a DJ or I always had to have somebody. So it was in learning that guitar I could, I had a, my first song had two chords. Well, that's all you need. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so it was, it was off to the races from there. Mm. So the reality is that people who do go to prison and as I say, I've known people and so on. And there seems to be, you know, there's a, there's when you get there there's a fork in the road you can go right you can go left so you can hate everything and hate yourself or you can look at yourself i think those are two basic things now uh i just actually the other day was doing an intro to a ramdas podcast that we do and uh his in one part of it he just was he was talking about actually, it was about work and money. And he was talking about the way you look at people that you're working with. If you look at them as other and you're trying to get ahead, you've got to defend yourself, somebody wants your job, you know, all that kind of thing, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty lost. You've got to work yourself back into where you see the soul in everybody. So he said, and a good example of this, although nothing to do with work, is that I used to work with uh, prisoners. I used to go to prisons, and uh, Ramdas was involved in something called Prison, prison Ashram Project, and they would provide supplies of spiritual books, this, that, and the other, be here now. And uh, he said at one point he was working with uh, people on death row, and he said... For many of them, they that process brought them into that soul land that he talks about. And uh, he would be sitting around with them doing loving kindness, Buddhist meditation with these folks. And uh, that is obviously really radical. You are going to, you know, you know that you are going to lose your life. And to be able to move in that direction, I mean, is pretty spectacular, really. And there wasn't just a few, many, he said. And uh, so it, this is, I mean, you were, I think you were in prison for about four years, something like that? No, more than seven. 
Seven. Hmm. Hmm. Somebody gave me the wrong info on that one. Seven. Jesus. But you did what Ramdas was talking about, mm-hmm. which is moved into the internal part of yourself and related and worked with that rather. I mean, I, you know, am I suggesting stuff that <laughs> wasn't real? I mean, I'm sure there was a process, but how, how did that work for you in terms of, of, of that length of time and um, pernicious atmosphere? My prison experience it was a very, very clear lived exercise in relativity. I knew from the moment that I arrived to through and and up to the morning I left that my experience was largely my experience and was not going to be the general experience for others. And let me illustrate Mm. what I mean. Mail. I received mail in some shape, form, or fashion, a, a newspaper, periodical letter. Every day, with the exception of maybe five, over the course of the seven plus years that I was away, there were guys who would come to mail call, sit on my left, sit on my right, day in and day out, and they wouldn't get one piece of mail. What's a piece of mail? It's a connection to the outside. It has your name on it. There's an expectation that you will receive it. It tethers you to that humanity that you're dreaming of returning to, that you're missing, that you're longing. So I also received lots of personal mail from friends as well as strangers. People telling me how much my music had impacted them to hold on, to keep my head up, to uh, don't lose faith. So I had so much hope. we had the appeals process until we didn't, but that appeals process gave me hope that lasted me for the first four years until the Supreme court said, no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to hear your case. And then, you know, out of the corners of, of, of the universe, we heard whispers of, there being one last sliver of, of hope 
And that was now that the appeals process was exhausted to consider filing for executive clemency, a presidential commutation or pardon. And this was during the the Bush era, Um, George W. Bush, who did not have a, a, a popular history with utilizing uh, with utilizing those powers um, and like I said, that was you know four four years into into my incarceration, so um, at the end of two thousand and five. And uh, in very, very large part due to the continued advocacy of a woman that I refer to as my spiritual godmother, uh, Carly Simon, uh, it was through her very, very public efforts that um, she was able to uh, to assemble a, a a political coalition of, of folks who champion my uh, my early release. And uh, on November the 24th, 2008, I found out that my name had made a very, very short list. And uh, I was the recipient of a presidential commutation. And I came home December the 22nd, 2008, um, and I've been home for more than 12 years now. Hmm. Hmm. Boy, do you look, uh, just looking at the, the karma of that and, and how it just turned you, turned you inside out, basically. And um, again, the connection with music seems to be the internal um, alchemy, right? Well that, said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing. And then, you know, fast forward. I mean, I never thought I I hear from you and so you're going to have to explain that out a little bit but suddenly I'm watching a a song a video of a song John did not that long ago a year ago I'm not sure Gong Guru well the video the original song that uh, you know that I did and and when I released that video I think that was it might have been 2015 maybe 2016 oh really Mm-hmm. But what I but I had I didn't release it until last year in mm. uh you know on on my on my new album Rhythm Drive, yes, right. Uh, so suddenly I'm I'm watching and listening, and there's this whole connectivity with Love Serve Remember and Ramdas, and I'm going what? <laughs> Love Serve Remember, may you long last and be here now, Baba Ramdas. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And then I say, fly high, reach that disc, eyes open, go deep, be that fish. Mm. You know, you're, yeah. you're the fish down there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going deep. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, how did okay? How do you meet up with uh, Ramdas? Basically, you know, I, I I can't think about that without thinking about the adage that you know I heard that said, you know, well, we are our paths are deeply connected long before and after yeah. we, we we meet, and I had been familiar with. Ram Dass's likeness and even some of the, his words, um, because I, I, I read Be Here Now when I was away. But it's like they say, timing is everything. And so you could, you could be proximate to the messages, you could be right next to, to the woman giving the speech, but if you're not ready to, to hear it and to receive it, you might as well be across town. Um, and, 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 and out of earshot. Mm. And so while I was aware, while the, the, the wisdom was um, on my radar for a number of years, it wasn't until, you know, 2015 that, um, that, 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 that it, it really turned on for me. And, and, and there was a triumvirate of, um, and but no, you know what? I'm not even gonna say it was a triumvirate because 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 I, I was uh, I was digging some some of what Terrence McKenna was saying as well. So you know, between Alan Watts, Abraham Hicks, Ram Dass, um, I was tuning into frequencies that felt really really familiar time and time again. And so I'm I'm seeking out these recordings and you know. <laughs> The, the 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 digital age has lots that we can throw rocks at but the ability to be able to source mm. um information um and good information um is is awesome so i was able to find this library of of of, of, of this treasure trove of of recordings and and I was transported, you know, I closed my eyes, I listened, I, I, I laughed along with the, with the audience members, you know, I, I was in the room. And so me being a musician, but, but not just a musician, but a musician deeply rooted in the urban experience, I feel duty bound to take the stuff that makes me feel great and to put it to song so that others can also pick up on, uh, on, on those ingredients, on those good feeling ingredients. And so I, I began very, very purposely and, and, and deliberately and, and with a whole lot of love um, incorporating uh, some of this wisdom uh, into, in, 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 into the music. And I remember very, very early on, a friend of mine um, got wind of it and, and, and she called me like the day after, uh, you know, I, I released the Gone Guru video. And she said, oh, I, I, I'm sure I'm connected to somebody within the Ram Dass Foundation. You know, I could do a little bit of work and, and we, could, we, 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 could, we could make the link. And I said, well, that, that sounds like so much. I said, you know, if it's, if, if, <laughs> if it's supposed to happen, it's, it's going to happen. I said, this will, this will find its way. And you know, part of that grace is getting out of the way. Like once you create it, 
now, now you just gotta now you just gotta pivot and say thank you and and let it go, and um, and yeah, and I and I let that go, and I'll tell you, I was so surprised when uh, I, I was I was happily surprised when um, when I got a message from our mutual friend uh, who had uh, heard what you heard and and and, and, she, and and she saw what you saw. And she said, did you say Ram Dass in a song? And if, if is there any, you know, I'd love to connect you. And that felt a lot easier. It felt a lot easier mm. this time, you know, a, a few years later. Mm. And, um, you know, one thing led to the other. And now I'm, I'm, I'm added to the lineup, which feels amazing. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm just psyched to be here. Well, let me just say something. I mean, uh, before we, uh, we got on live, I... I said to John, now, I don't want to be a gushy little guy here around. So I've heard the new music that, that John's been creating. There'll be an album that'll come out this year, and you're all going to hear about it one way or the other. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's really, really pretty great. But when you started talking about wanting to share through your vehicle some of what you have uh, just that's brought forth out of all of this experience, the experience in incarceration, the experience of, of some of the things that, uh, that you were just bound to find through grace. Uh, now, so some people get angry at me because I get a little bit, um, I'm not so happy about new age stuff. Okay, when you when when people uh, are put into songs, the most um, all, um, all of this um, spiritual verbiage, which is so direct, and is it feels like fundamentalism to me almost, you know. Uh, and I just tell you, you will all be so pleased to hear real poetry that reflects real wisdom, okay, in a way that uh, it's just spectacular, okay? So I, got, I did my gushy thing. I can't, I can't help it. Thank you, Raghu. Thank you. It is, it is real. Uh, uh, by the way, I mean, listening, so much a part, did, I'm sure you realize this, but so much a part of many of the songs, these new songs, I mean, it's terrible we're talking about music. I hate talking about music without playing something. Can we play at least the, the Gang Guru song? Can, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, for sure. Because you have control over it, right? I won't mm -hmm. get hit by Warner Brothers or anything. No, no. Okay. Okay. Will, will, you, will you play it? Will you splice it into, in, in, into, yeah, this, we're gonna, into this conversation? Yeah, right here. Right now, here you go, just so you all know what we're talking about. Here's Ganguru. Yeah. It's like a line to a limit. We've been here before. You just 
so good. Uh, I felt uh, like we were in radio just then. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, breath is so much a part of this new record, right? Yes. I mean, yes. it really is. And it is the thing. It's, it's the... Um, it's the meditation practice that I have been doing all these years since I was first in India, which is Vipassana, which is around just following your breath, the natural breath through the rising and falling of your abdomen or in and out of the feeling it in and out of the nostrils. And, uh, and breath to me is the great equalizer in terms of bringing you back to the be here now moment for sure. So you have it all over this album. Maybe the album, you, you need a poetic name, but breathe mf come on <laughs> i'm gonna take that into consideration because yeah, yeah. i don't have a name just yet so <laughs> there you still, go yeah we're close oh uh, and oh and by the way here here's a just i don't even know which song this is from and this is so totally aside uh the truth is subjective that's why i choose herb for breakfast <laughs> I don't know where it's from, which song or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's from um, that's from a new, that's from the new album. It is. Oh, oh okay. yeah, uh-huh. okay, yeah. That's great. from a song called "Build, Build." Oh, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the subjective. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, everybody. When I'm talking about John being able to wordsmiths uh, in a way that just wakes you up and connects mm. you to what the the reality is. Uh, and this is, so here's a, a line, find your wings, okay? Find your wings, but until then, get under mine. You know what that is? Ramdas just wrote a book with Mirabai Bush, or Mirabai wrote it with Ramdas, uh, called Walking Each Other Home. That is walking each other home, just with a different twist, right? That made me so happy because that is... That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about for all of us. That's what, it, that's what happened to me when I met Ramdas, the way that he shared with me space. When I, the first second that I, I saw him, I, I was uh, running a, a, a rock and roll station in Montreal. And uh, I don't know if, you know if you've listened to podcasts, you might know the story, but otherwise it's just, oh, can you announce he's on, on uh, doing a, a talk at McGill University, the big school there? And I go, what? Who's Ramdas? <laughs> what? And they go, oh, Tim Leary, Richard Alper. Oh, God, I love them. He was taking eating acid at the time. And then, but you got to have a, a talk, send it over. And he, they sent over a talk and that was, oh, God. Everything mm -hmm. was like, oh, man, I had been waiting to hear. My first guru is John Coltrane, okay, because I was lucky enough to get into a, a into, I don't know how I did it at 15 years old or something because it was booze, you know, but somehow somebody got me in there and I went out of my body at my favorite things. I don't know if you've ever you seen You saw John live when you were 15? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Talk about grace. Wow. I mean, because I, I went out of my body in that moment when he's like, the, I mean, have you heard this? I'm sure you've heard this song. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just. And well, I mean, I also can, I, I can't think about John without thinking about Alice and then thinking mm -hmm. about. And what Harper. she's doing. Yeah. Oh, has done. oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yes. So. so um, cosmic. Yeah. So mm -hmm. really that uh, uh, without that, I don't know where I would be. And then, of course, the trust I had with Ramdas led me to India, 
and and of course Neem Karoli Baba, which so it's a whole other conversation we'll have on another day, I'm sure. I look uh, forward to it. Yeah, uh, but uh, <sighs> there's so much more. <laughs> it's just, uh, uh, I mean, I especially like how you. Um, one thing you talked about with uh, Talib that um, was around grace and dignity. Can you just talk about that just for, I know we're kind of at the end of our session, but I just want to hear from you about how, how that rings for you. And I mean, because it, it, I think it's a major, major thing. There was a time when I was in prison and I was doing my job as an orderly, cleaning out the trash bins, mopping, sweeping, uh, custodial work. And I was, I was down on my knees and I was cleaning out the, 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 or replacing the, the, the trash can uh, with a new bag, having just wrapped it up in this corrections officer, he was standing in a threshold and he said, what's it like? And I said, what? He says, what's it like to be, oh, oh no, he said, what's it like to go from being on stage and being a hot shot to, to cleaning out my trash? And I said, in that moment, I said, well, I know this is temporary. And I said, right now, I'm going to do the best job that I have to do. But I knew that, I knew that that was temporary. And I didn't take umbrage with, 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 uh, I got it. I just didn't feel that spiritual assault. If anything, I felt compassion for him because I knew that while it was temporary for me, that it would be less temporary for him. And that that sort of job security came from, uh, from a not great feeling place, um, supported by lots of, um, ill feeling thoughts. Right, because the prison industrial complex is another construct, and so we invest in it. We, we invest in it. We believe in it to uh, to the degree that is convenient for us. Uh, until one day, and and this day will come, we see what that environment really tells us about ourselves. Mm. So. So going through that, going through that taught me that no matter where I, I, would, I would be, that my dignity was my power. My dignity was my power. I wasn't going to be subjected to anyone's belief system. So on the one side, there's that, and that's what that's what kept me upright. But grace is what keeps me in motion, because that's how I'm responding to what's beyond my control. And rather than being stressed out, rather than being angry, rather than being bitter, which, again, are all within my tool belt. Of, 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 of tricks. I'm like, you know what? I'm not today. And that to me, that to me is that, that, that's grace. Mm. And mm. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Ramdas said the same thing when he got the stroke, by the way, after, you know, years after, um, when he he came to realize, well, Fierce Grace, that wonderful movie, was all about that. But for a long time, he thought, okay, the Fierce Grace was, his guru gave him the stroke, and he went to India one day, and we have our, who when Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji left, uh, a... Uh, a woman saint who had been with him named Siddhima for forever, uh, she became our Indian mother for all practical purposes, as well as being an exalted being. But uh, he, Ramdas went there just before he ended up in 2004. He went to India for the first time since, you know, he had the stroke in 98, I think. And, um, and she knew that he had this whole thing, that he was given the stroke by Maharaji, so then he could uh, uh, become who he was supposed to become. She said, no, no one he doesn't give strokes. Nature gave you the stroke. What the grace was that you were able to see it and to transform it. And she didn't say it in those words because she was speaking in Hindi, but basically said the same thing that nature, in other words, whatever his physical, I mean, Ramdas wasn't taking care of himself, actually, in, in the, the years just before he got that stroke, in terms of overweight and kind of food he was eating and so on, and not taking blood pressure medicine, I think. And, um, and then, yes, he realized that he was given the grace of being able to see the truth about who he was at that moment and and being able to finally get to what he was pointing to all those years which was love everyone serve everyone remember god so uh the same same as what you just expressed absolutely the same i thank you so much uh for being here and I, thank sharing. you so much i was looking forward to this conversation i'm looking forward to more mm. but um but this was this was very very special yeah thank you yeah thank you so much everybody uh again you uh we have uh, we'll be able to get with john on the 30th of april in our in our uh, ramdas Soulland series available on all the platforms uh social media and ramdas.org and uh, and I am sure way beyond that, because whatever he can handle of us bugging him to take part in this, that, and the other, it will, we, we will be doing that. And uh, okay, this is mind rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and uh, enjoy the plethora of amazing podcasts and teachers and thought leaders. And we keep, we're adding Alan Watts, John. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Mind-blown. Yeah, just, yeah uh, right. Well, we have that great thing we did as an experiment, cho choosing themes and using some of Alan's work and Ramdas back and forth. That's uh, Yeah, you if you haven't checked that out, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's probably the one. I think there's a new one going up today, but yeah, Alan Watts okay. and Ramdas. So that's... Uh, I most certainly will. That's how I'll set the scene and setting in the studio right now yeah. before I get into some, some music making. Yeah. All right, great. And we, we will see you all uh, next week. Okay, namaste. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> see you later. <laughs>